Our scripture this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, and chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In Matthew 10, 1 through 8, Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's good to be back with you this morning. Uh, it's been two long weeks uh, since I've been here at Pittman Park. Um, I heard you had a pretty good fill-in last week. Uh, I was actually concerned. I thought, well, maybe they won't have me back after Stephanie preached so well last Sunday. I said preached so well last Sunday. She preaches well every Sunday. So uh, we're thankful to have her as a part of our staff here at Pittman Park. The reason I wasn't here, though, I want to tell you that. Uh, last, two Sundays ago, um, I left immediately following worship uh, to drive to Tifton, Georgia for the South Georgia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. Each year we gather together to do the business of the conference, to set a budget, to set priorities. And I've got to tell you, I often dread going to annual conference because you know it's going to be less than entertaining. Let's call it that. All right, it's going to be less than entertaining. It's not going to be very exciting, except this year it was. There was a hopefulness in the room. You could, you could sense it inside of the space, people coming together uh, to share the good news. And I was most inspired by one of the, um, one of the, the, um, the moves our conference adopted, some new values for us. As you know, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's what the mission of the United Methodist Church is. But in South Georgia, we wanted to talk about the ways that we do that. What does it look like? What will our values be as we make disciples? And so 
had the opportunity to share these. First, we're going to be a Christ-centered annual conference. Our churches, our ministries are going to be Christ-centered. Everything begins and ends with the person of Jesus Christ and the coming of his kingdom. We want to be a Christ-centered conference and a Christ-centered church. We also want to be a connectional church, a connectional conference. What that means is that we don't see uh, First Methodist and Brooklyn and, and all the churches around us as people who are competing for some prize, but rather they are our co-laborers in Christ in helping advance the gospel in this area and all around the world. We're going to be collaborative. More and more, you're going to see our church and churches like us linking arms so that we can move together toward the future that God has for us. The future of South Georgia Methodism is also going to be compassionate. That means we look around us and we see the needs of the people who are within our congregation and who are outside of our congregation so that we can meet those needs with the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And last but certainly not least, we're going to be kind. I don't know if you've known this, but friends, we've been through a very unkind season in the life of the United Methodist Church. And together, our conference has, is choosing to be kind. And our church, we will be a kind church to those within our walls and to those beyond our walls. Because it's kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's repentance that allows us to enter into a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I was so excited and inspired by the moments of worship and the time that we had together talking about the kind of church that we'll be moving forward that I thought nothing could top that. Nothing could possibly top that experience of annual conference. Best one by a whole bunch. So I left Tifton and got on a plane uh, and flew to Boston and then drove about an hour to Manchester, New Hampshire for the Northeast, uh, excuse me, the New England Annual Conference, uh, which is in Manchester is where they, ho they hold their annual meeting. I was running uh, the computer and a camera um, to help them have their annual conference. And I kept thinking to myself, God, you, you couldn't do anything that could top the experience I've had so far. Except that during the annual conference session, one of uh, the pastors walked to the microphone and said, uh, my church, I'm worried about my church. We are a growing church. We've doubled in size in the past few months, but we only have $4,000 left in our reserves. And those $4,000 will help us keep our doors open for the next six months, but we're not sure what's going to happen after that. Then there was sort of silence in the room. But then a voice came from another microphone. I pledge $1,000 to keep the church open. And then another voice, and another voice, and another voice, and another voice. And by the time annual conference had ended, they had raised more than $20,000 to support mission and ministry in a church where the Spirit of God was moving with power. They were keeping the doors open no matter what so that people could experience the saving love of Jesus Christ. I was blown away. I got chills. I've got chills now just thinking about it. And I thought, Lord, I am so encouraged by what I've seen in these, these two moments. We're being a connection. We're doing the things we talk about all the time. Acts 2, 42 to 47 kind of moments. And I go to Louisiana, to Baton Rouge, to the Louisiana Annual Conference, and it's hot. And it's on the Mississippi River. 
So it's one of those like South Georgia kind of places where you walk out in the afternoon and you're not just hot, but you're suddenly wet too, right? And I kept thinking, God, I'm here and I'm watching and I'm witnessing and I want to be a part of whatever it is you're doing, but how would you ever do more? So we hear a report from the Congregational Vitality Task Force. We talk about a small church that was growing and then uh, took in uh, a number of new members uh, from churches that had left the denomination and suddenly they're three times the size that they once were. And everybody was excited about the growth. And the bishop, just in an offhand remark, said this. She said, uh, we, we are so excited for what God is doing in this church And can you believe they're doing it without air conditioning? In Louisiana? That's the first thing I said was, in Louisiana? Took my breath away. Then a voice. Bishop, pledge $1,000 to make that church a space that's welcoming and inviting for everyone who wants to come and attend. Then another voice and another voice, and pretty soon, 30 minutes had passed, and they had raised $15,000 to not only put air conditioning in that church, but in a couple other churches, too. I've never experienced anything like that at an annual conference before ever, and I got to see three powerful movements of God in three different locations. Y'all, God is up to something. We just have to have our eyes open and be ready to move when Jesus says for us to go. Everywhere we see people who are harassed and who are helpless. And God is still moving. Which brings me to our text this morning. I want you to hear it again. It says there in Matthew 9, 35, all the way through 10, 8, these two seemingly separate passages are actually one long passage of Scripture. It says there that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Then Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of those 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, And Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus set out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any, any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In our text, Jesus is moving from town to town in Galilee, and the people he sees in every place that he goes are just the same. They're harassed, and they are helpless, and they don't know what to do. The circumstances of their lives are holding them captive. They're afflicted by disease and demonic powers. They're hungry and they are hurting and they are beaten down by life. But friends, Jesus sees them. 
He sees them. Jesus sees what's going on, and he sees that in town after town, the people are harassed and helpless. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go with all the troubles that life has brought them. They're living on the brink. They've tried following the rules. They've done the programs. They've even memorized the Torah. Yet like sheep, they're scared and superstitious and easily sidetracked. And they have no shepherd to guide them. Now, Jesus could have just moved on, right? Jesus could have just said, well, I'm just going to pack up things. You all are harassed and helpless. I'm just going to go to the next town and the next town and the next town. Jesus could just move on, but Jesus is moved with compassion for the people that he sees. His heart hurts for the people that he sees in town after town after town. And what's remarkable to me is that God in the flesh, Jesus, would see the suffering of the people that he would see the pain that life so often brings, that he acknowledges that this life is filled with trouble and heartache and pain and brokenness. He sees it, and he's moved with compassion. His heart hurts for the hurts of others. He's moved with compassion. So not only does he see, but he responds to what he sees. So what does Jesus do about these sheep without a shepherd harassed and hurting? What does he do about these people he sees in, in town after town that are hurt and beaten down? What does he do? Well, he builds a seminary, right? He opens a ministry school, right? He starts a hospital. A small group? No. Jesus doesn't do any of those things. Jesus doesn't say, we need a seminary here to fix this, or, or we need a small group here to fix this. He doesn't say any of that. He says, the harvest is plentiful to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says to them, he says, pray. Look at the heartache and the pain that surrounds you in place after place after place that we have gone. Pray. He tells his disciples and he tells us that our first move when we see people who are hurting, who are filled with brokenness and pain, that our first move is to pray. Y'all, that is Jesus modeling how we are supposed to react to the world around us to the tragedy and the struggles of the world around us. Instead of talking about it, instead of laughing at it, instead of pointing fingers, we are to be people who are first moved to pray. But then Jesus does something else. He sees the people harassed and hurting. He has compassion on them. He tells his disciples and he tells us to pray. Then he answers the prayer. You might have missed that in the reading. He answers the prayer that the disciples and he have prayed, he can do that because he's God in the flesh. The fullness of divinity in the fullness of humanity. He answers the prayer. And he doesn't send an army of angels to minister to these harassed and hurting people. He doesn't send Moses or Elijah or David to lead the people. Jesus calls his disciples over and he sends them. 
Jesus, moved with compassion, tells his disciples to pray, and then he sends them. You remember who they were, right? Simon, who's called Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Don't you like that? Matthew's got a label. Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. Don't miss Simon, the zealot, friends. You know, uh, zealots are like terrorists, right? Right? And Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed them. Jesus sends them. He sends them, the 12 who would deny him and betray him. He sends Simon and Andrew and James and John, who really were just fishermen, Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew, the Roman tax collector that nobody liked, especially Simon the Zealot, who had made a pact at some point in his life that if he ever saw a tax collector, he would kill him, right? Can you imagine Matthew and Simon the Zealot doing ministry together? And yet, that's what's happening here. Jesus sends them. He even sends Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him, into the hands of the Pharisees. Y'all don't miss this. Jesus sends the unqualified, the unauthorized, and the unorthodox. He sends the uncouth to do the very work that he was doing. To answer the prayer that they had just prayed to be the answer to the prayers that people all throughout the region, all around the world, had been praying. And Jesus doesn't just give them orders. He gives them authority. Authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness, to continue the ministry that Jesus had begun by proclaiming that the kingdom of God had come near. I read a book one time called The Master Plan of of Evangelism, but I want to tell you the master's plan of evangelism is to send disciples. And friends, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you've claimed Christ as your Savior and the Lord of your life, then get ready because Jesus is sending you. We are the plan, church. It's us. Jesus is sending us, every single one of us, out into the world to have eyes that see, hearts that are moved with compassion to pray for people, and to be the answer to someone's prayer. To bring a word of hope, a word of healing, a word of life, a word word that points others to the hope and the salvation that you know in Jesus Christ. Friends, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have your life together. Lord knows the disciples certainly didn't. It's enough to know that you've been sent in Jesus' name and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, you and I are God's plan to transform the world. Our transformed hearts become the transformation that the world needs as we share the hope and the grace and the faith that we know. Powerful things happen, friends. Holy Spirit empowered, God-ordained things happen when we see the lost and hurting like Jesus did. When we have compassion and pray and when we are sent in Jesus' name. And I've come back from Tifton and from Manchester and from Baton Rouge and places all in between to tell you 
that everywhere I go, I see people who are harassed and who are helpless. I see people who are broken and oppressed by life and by the world around them. You've seen them too, haven't you? Don't look away. Let your heart be moved with compassion that you might begin to pray so that you might be sent by Almighty God to be His hands and feet, to bring healing and hope and life to the lost. Y'all, we have to become a people who see the lost and the hurting around us. We have to have eyes that see and ears that hear. We have to become people whose hearts are softened, that they might be filled with compassion toward those who are harassed and helpless. We have to become people who are willing to pray so that God can send us to answer a prayer, to lend a hand, and to offer hope. We have to become people who go in Jesus' name not just people who gather. That's the thing we mess up all the time. We think that Christians are supposed to be the people who gather. No. We're supposed to be the people who go and who carry the message of the kingdom of God with us, the healing and hope of Jesus Christ. This is what God is calling us to do. This is who God is calling us to be apostles, not just disciples, but those who are sent. May we have the courage and the confidence to do these very things, to see, to have compassion, to pray, and then to go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are moving all around the world. And you're moving here in this place, God. I've seen it time and time again, the ways that you are calling people to yourself here at Pittman Park, God. And how you are moving in places like Manchester and Baton Rouge and all kind of places in between, God. And so we pray, God, that we might be a part of that movement as well, that we might be those who are sent in your name to bring healing and hope and transformation to the world. We pray, God, that we would not sit on the sidelines or just move from place to place hoping that things will be different, God, but instead that we would put our hands to the plow to make disciples and to transform the world in your name. Lord Jesus, put us to going, put us to doing. Let us be put to work for you or laid aside for you and for your kingdom, God. Help us, Jesus, to follow your lead and to live lives that are worthy of your gospel and of the salvation that you have freely given to us. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.